A reminder to our insurance brokers that this podcast is eligible for half a CPD point from NEBA. Stay tuned until the end of the episode for details on where you can go to generate your CPD certificate. Hi and welcome to NTI Spotlight, the show that shines a spotlight on the transport, construction, marine and cargo industries, and of course the people that power them. I'm your host, Luke Muller, NTI's Communications Manager, and today we're going to be talking about Chain of Responsibility, or COR, legislation. What is it, who does it affect, and what do you need to know? I'm joined this morning by two very special guests. Firstly, Jarden Stotzer, Supply Chain Customer Success Manager. Welcome, Jarden. Thanks, mate. And also David Jackson, the National Development Manager for Supply Chain. Welcome, Dave. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay. Bit of a, a heavy topic this morning that we're going to be talking about, chain of responsibility. So let's start with the basics. What is chain of responsibility legislation? No, I'll jump in first. Um, and, you know, our goal today should be to hopefully make that... that uh Heavy load, a little lighter for you. It can be a bit of a dry topic, but we're here to make it fun. Um, but chain of responsibility, I think the, the first thing to say is it's not a new concept. It's actually been around for quite a long time as a part of heavy vehicle national law. Um, it's basically a concept which applies to any trucks over four and a half tonne GVM, um, gross vehicle mass, on Australian roads. And the goal being that everyone has a shared responsibility to ensure that those goods on Australian roads move safely from A to B, B to C, C to D. Does that sound about right, Chad? Yeah, that pretty much covers it. So, so give me an example of a, a contravention of chain of responsibility law. What kind of things would be breaking that law? Yeah, look, so um, chain of responsibility laws cover uh, fatigue, so, so driving in compliance with your work and rest hours, but also driving whilst under the influence of fatigue. Um, mass, so compliance with gross mass, um, axle mass is applicable to the vehicle. Um, you've got speeding in there as well. So um, so speeding with heavy vehicles, obviously limited at 100 kilometres an hour, but also signposted speed limits. Um, and back on that fatigue side of things as well, you've got fitness for duty. So um, driver fitness for duty. Am I missing anything out there, Dave? You've got equipment roadworthiness. Yeah, roadworthiness Dimensions, well. things like load restraint, yeah. also really important concepts. It's, it's quite funny. Um, from a practical perspective, we all sit here, if we don't interact with heavy vehicles or drive them, Everyone says, oh, yes, yeah, suppose you need to manage fatigue. There's not many industries in our country where it would be expected that someone needs to operate a vehicle for 14 hours with only a few rests. So that's why we have things like chain of responsibility in place to practically ensure that drivers are resting. Um, they're operating heavy equipment on our roads um, around the general public, and we know we want to get that right. So an example would be a heavy vehicle operator breaching their work diary rest hours driving for too long, not resting enough, driving too many hours within um, within seven days. And that's really important that you need to get that right. Yeah, absolutely. And just on the chain of responsibility part, so that, that breach that Dave talks about there with um, with the exceeding the hours, that what the chain of responsibility means is that there's other people who had influence over that movement. So um, yes, the driver breached their hours, but there may have been somebody, a scheduler within um, that company who had some influence over the driver's driving time. So, so has scheduled the driver in a way that has caused them to breach their hours 
or maybe hasn't provided the training so that they understand how to comply with their hours or when they need to take their breaks. And that's where the chain comes in. It's, it's that that other person along the chain has done something that's caused the the contravention of the HVNL, and then that's when the legislation would be used in a way that would be chain of responsibility legislation against that other person. And so in the example that you gave there, that could fall responsibility with, with a scheduler and they would be found to as an individual have breached that law? Yeah, absolutely. So so the chain of responsibility legislation lists out different parties within the chain. Um, there's 10 parties there. I won't jump straight into all of them, but scheduler is one of those parties within the chain of responsibility. So that person, because they they have a role where they can influence other other people and other, pe- other people's movements um, and the safety of those movements. So that scheduler as an individual can be responsible for the breach of the uh, fatigue legislation, even though they weren't the person driving the vehicle at the time. I think the the key thing there, and it can be a, quite a misconception within our industry, the only party that really isn't isn't named in chain of responsibility legislation is the driver themselves. So all of the other parties that have an influence have an accountability. And that's a really key line that the regulator, the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator, who's responsible in Australia for enforcing the law, on Australian roads across our states and territories. Um, That's one of their key lines is that accountability follows influence. So if you have a role to play in ensuring those vehicles move safely um, and those loads move safely between um, destinations and and origins, then you have an influence and an accountability to ensure that they move safely. So you just mentioned the, the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator there, Dave. Are they responsible for enforcing these laws? They are in most states and territories across Explain Australia. Explain that to me. How, yes. do, how do they enforce it? So how do they enforce it? A few ways. Um, primarily, they're responsible for interpreting the law and putting it into action, both um, off-road, so there's off-road duty holders, uh, and on-road. So in some states and territories across Australia, they have on-road enforcement people um, intercepting heavy vehicles and ensuring that they comply with the law. There's a, they also have a responsibility for investigating incidents where there is uh, potential for demonst- or potentially demonstrable breach of heavy vehicle national law. Uh, our friend Jardin across the table here used to work at the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator for a period of time, so he can probably shed a little bit more insight onto that one. Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, yes, I'm, I'm quite familiar with the Heavy Vehicle Regulator and uh, and the on-road compliance role that Dave spoke about. I worked in that role for, for over six years in South Australia. Um, so... The the heavy uh, sorry so the national heavy vehicle regulator um, is responsible for the compliance and the enforcement of the HVNL the heavy vehicle national law like Dave said in in a number of different ways but that on road uh, component to it is where they have on road officers intercepting heavy vehicles during day to day activities and undertaking those checks on the vehicles so checking the work diaries for work and rest. Um, recordings and and that there's compliance with the maximum work time minimum rest requirements um checking dimensions of vehicles that loads are restrained properly that that the masses are correct so that's the day-to-day um, when we talk about the chain of responsibility side of things that's when there's been non-compliance identified by one of these on-road officers 
and they've said, okay, somebody else within the chain has um, possibly caused an uncompliance that was detected. So that's where the investigation side of things that Dave spoke about comes in, where where either the on-road officer or an investigator might go in and speak with the company um, who has who's employed the driver or maybe a, a consigner who has employed the movement of the goods. And that's where they really dig a little bit deeper into, you know, what caused that contravention at the time. So the enforcement of the heavy vehicle national law is a, is a uh, not a complicated thing, but it's there's a lot deeper than just pulling over a truck, seeing what the driver did wrong, and issuing a ticket to them. So yeah, and they they follow the bouncing ball the whole way through. So they've got a team of prosecutors that go to court on a almost daily basis, from what I hear, um, to bring matters before the courts um, against parties in the chain to ensure that there are outcomes and that they're deterring um, breaches within the law, both a specific um, deterrence and a general deterrence for the broader logistics industry to ensure that they are complying with the law. So explain to me a little bit more about who is in the chain. What are the roles that you referenced before that make up that chain of responsibility? Yeah, absolutely. So there's both businesses and personal individuals. Um, So from a business perspective, supply chain role perspective, you have consigners who are responsible for moving so they might be a manufacturer within Australia or beyond um, who are responsible for engaging carriers to move their goods. You've got your internal sites, both theirs and other parties in the chain that have a responsibility. Um, you have schedulers and loaders within those businesses that carry a responsibility. You have the carriers themselves, so the transport operators that own the heavy vehicles that have a role to play. And then you have the receivers. Um, who are receiving the the finished or raw materials, again, to ensure that they're encouraging um, conformance with the law and not not breaching the law. Um, So within that, then, if you look at that as the supply chain, so your suppliers, your internal sites and your distributors, that's a really gross oversimplification of how a supply chain works. You have members or or roles within the business that have um, a responsibility. So that might be supervisors, it might be schedulers, site teams that are engaging with loading and unloading. But we also can't forget safety and workplace health and safety managers. But a really, really important clarification that was made in 2018 was that the, the directors of these businesses carry a personal liability, a personal accountability to ensure that they are establishing safe cultures within their business, um, irrespective of the their link in the chain, that they're creating a safe culture within their workplace that encourages conformance with the law. So so that sounds like it would have been a big shake-up in 2018, that personal liability for some of these directors. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, that executive due diligence is what they call that. Um, and what it really means is that these directors now, because they're probably the person who has the biggest influence over how things are done within their organisation, um, are now accountable if things aren't done correctly. So so the legislation outlines that they they do have a responsibility to exercise due diligence. And what that means really is that they need to have an, a, an in-depth understanding of what their business does, how their business moves freight, uh, the risks associated with that, and then the harm that they can cause um, by the way that they do move freight. So in doing that, um, they're able to say, you know, resource appropriately or budget appropriately to make the changes that need to be made within a business to move freight safely. So, but yet in answer to your question that, that 
once a director realizes that they have an individual responsibility and they can be held accountable, um, I think it's really good to work from that top-down motto to say, okay, this this business can be um, funded appropriately now and resourcing can be put in the right places because the people at the top understand that it's not just the driver driving the vehicle that can be held responsible. Um, they also have to do everything that they can to ensure the safety. And an important clarification there, we say accountability and, and personal liability, that means personal consequences. So one other thing that was clarified within the law in 2018 were the fines and the consequences for getting it wrong, particularly when the outcome is severe and there's recklessness involved. So for a director or a senior manager within a business, they can personally be fined up to $300,000 and they can also receive up to five years jail time uh, for getting it really wrong. Um, so you could say that the heavy vehicle regulator has sharpened the stick, that they really want to encourage from a top to bottom within these supply chain businesses, um, a buy-in to genuine safety. So we might have some of our, our listeners to this podcast be they, our, our broker partners or uh, transport operators uh, listening and thinking, what do I need to know? Where, what, sh- what should I be looking at in terms of risks to my business? Where do I start when it comes to chain of responsibility? Yeah, that um, where to start, I mean, it's... It's uh, the, the starting point is the, is the safety management system, the documentation around your business's practices. So the, the policies in place that uh, overarch the, the movements of freight, the contractual agreements with um, other people in the supply chain, um, then the procedures that talk about how things are done, who we communicate with, where the training's provided within the business around that chain of responsibility and within the, the areas that chain of responsibility covers. So the starting point is really the that, that building blocks of a foundation of a safety management system that, that outlines how things are done safely, uh, but then trickles down into the training throughout the business to ensure that those, those documents that say what we're going to do are actually being adhered to throughout the business and that everybody understands their responsibility of what they're going to do and understand how to do it well, um, and also the importance that it means and, and, and why doing it right is really important. So, I mean, starting point's going to be the, the safety management system around it trickle down into training um, and then that constant review. This this sort of uh, legislation and, and chain of responsibility isn't something that stands still. What you put in place today isn't always going to be right and best practice tomorrow. So it's just a, a constant review phase to implement, monitor, review. And if I was if I was an insurance broker in today's um, today's world, today's economy and knowing the expectations of our consumers and our customers, um, they expect you to be their risk partner, to be an extension of your own business. That's what a broker is to our insured customers. So if I was a broker today, what would I be doing? Starts with a question. Go into every single customer that you have, whether they are big, small, somewhere in between. If they have a role within the supply chain, within logistics, you should be asking the question, do you have a COR policy? Do you understand the realities of chain of responsibility for your business? And if you're a director for you personally, and if not, let's work together to solve, to solve those problems. Let me connect you with a provider that can help. But it starts with a question. If you don't ask the question, you don't know the answer. Um, so I'd be really encouraging all of our broker partners to just simply ask that question and why. Um, I think our brokers probably know it better than we do. Margins are tight, particularly in, in the industry and the economy today. Um, so in many other industries, even, even in my family life, I teach my kids to learn by making mistakes, by trying things and failing. But in logistics, we can't really afford to fail. 
number one, because margins are so tight and fines are pretty, pretty stiff. But secondly, we know from, our, from NTI's crash stats and other industry media that the consequences of getting it wrong can be severe. So we need to ask questions of ourselves and our systems and our policies. And to Jardin's point, are we building capability and training in our businesses to ensure that we're responding and being proactive and not waiting for things to go wrong and getting that phone call? Absolutely. So let's talk some examples. Jardin, I'll start with you. Are you able to give me an example of when there's been, say, a, a major prosecution under chain of responsibility law? Um, yeah, so there have been some major prosecutions uh, just recently um, under the chain of responsibility legislation. Um, one of note was the first conviction of a consigner under the new chain of responsibility legislation since it came in, in 2018. Um, that was of a vehicle that was importing timber products from overseas. Uh, those timber products were within a container and the product wasn't restrained appropriately within the container. Uh, that caused the vehicle to roll over at an intersection and and actually rolled over at a pedestrian crossing. Um, fortunately, nobody was injured in that incident, but there was a, could have been catastrophic um, injury, death if if it had been slightly different circumstances. So um, that was a really interesting one for the regulator and from a prosecution standpoint because the the consigner was bringing the goods in from overseas and they themselves hadn't restrained the product within the container, although they were found by the court to be the person or the first person within Australia who had any influence over how those goods were loaded and how they should have been restrained within that container. So the court actually found the consigner guilty um, of a COR breach and fined them $75,000 for failing to communicate with with the supplier from overseas um, and to ensure that their loading, their loading processes that they were following followed um, the Australian um, load restraint guidelines. So that was a really big milestone, um, I think, for the for the NHVR to, to prosecute a consigner. It's 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 um, it's new to them, and it's probably new to the industry, and it really opens the eyes for consigners now across Australia, to, and particularly those importing goods from overseas, to say, what else do we actually need to do? with our suppliers to make sure that we're doing the right thing. I mean, um, historically, it's probably been looked at as we, we didn't load it ourselves, so we're okay, we don't have to worry about this, whereas now it's, okay, we need to have a conversation with everybody else in our supply chain to, to make sure we're doing everything we can through communication. Um, so th- there's, been, there's been that one of the consigner. There's also uh, been other, other instances recently of directors and other people within businesses who have an influence over transport movements. Uh, earlier this year, there were two individuals who were charged um, with offences against chain of responsibility legislation. One of those was a sole director of the company uh, who was acting as a scheduler at the time. Um, so the investigation found that there were no processes in place um, within that business to assess driver fitness for duty. Um, The company had installed things such as cameras within the vehicles and also GPS tracking, but had not not relied on that information to to accurately check um, work and rest records recorded within the work diary against those GPS records. Um, The company had also failed to provide any any training to the drivers as well. So um, what the court actually found in that was that if you have systems in place such as GPS tracking, other cameras, um, you, ha- you have to use those and, and rely on those or 
So you have to use those to cross-reference back against the records that are being provided by drivers um, to make sure that the information being given is, is correct, true, and accurate. Um, it also, also, the court found that training, particularly around the area of fatigue, is, is more than just understanding what you have to comply with in the work diary for, the most, for, the, for recording your work time and recording your rest time. It's more about understanding your fatigue levels um, and understanding the importance of complying with those work and rest requirements. I was just going to say, like, I guess what, what the cases that have gone before the courts, particularly in the past 12 months, are telling us and telling the industry is that having a framework, a policy framework, is a really great starting point, but it's a ticket to the game. We're in logistics. We're in supply chain. We're exposed. It's one of the riskiest industries in our country, if not the riskiest. Um, so having a policy framework without genuine implementation of safety within your business ends up becoming a rod for your own back when something goes wrong because the courts look at those policies and say, well, you clearly know and knew that there is a risk. Fatigue is a risk. Trucks need to be maintained, so on and so forth, but you chose not to implement that within your business. So I now have grounds as a, as a court, as a judge, as a heavy vehicle regulator, to hold you to a higher standard because you demonstrate to me by having a policy that you knew and should have known. That's probably one of the biggest findings um, and one of, the, one of the most common lines we're hearing from those in decision-making places um, within the industry at the moment and something that we should all pause and reflect on when thinking about our policy framework and calling ourselves safe businesses and safe supply chains we need to, again, ask ourselves the hard question, are we running a genuinely safe business or do we have mountains of paperwork at our head office that never get utilised and lived and breathed in the real world? So what about the other side of the coin there, Dave? Obviously, um, there are a, a lot of businesses in transport and logistics in Australia that would have these policies and safety management systems in place, but things can still go wrong. Uh, are there any examples of... of defences against chain of responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a few examples of those where the safety management system and the culture have stood up. Um, so one really memorable example that's been given to us by one of our legal partners of recent times is a group of tru uh, related trucking companies and directors who over a period of time had been charged with around about 217 speeding offences. So that's either speed limiter tampering operating a speeding vehicle um, and some executive liability issues as well. Um, what happened in that case is that they, they pleaded guilty to four charges and not guilty to the rest. Um, the, it was under the old heavy vehicle national law, so it was a slightly different standard, but the end result was all of those charges were dismissed. So you sit back and ask the question, well, how is that possible um, that you can have 217 speeding offences? Well, what the court found was that they stood up, they stood the test. Um, so they had policies and procedures in place. They had driver manuals in place that set an expectation with drivers that speeding was not acceptable within their company that they operated. Again, as I clarified earlier, that's not enough. So what they could demonstrate next was that they did route planning and risk assessments. They had driver inductions in place. And when drivers did speed, um, there was a process to respond when that occurred. And at times they could demonstrate removal of drivers from the business if they were speeding. They audited and reviewed their practices. They improved upon those learnings when incidents did occur. And executives at the very top of the business all the way through to the coalface were engaged in running a safe and sustainable business. 
Um, so that to me is a really good example of where your system and your culture can protect you um, and stand up for you in, in the eyes of the court. Again, um, from the friends at, at the heavy vehicle regulator, they have said to us on a number of occasions at workshops that we have hosted with industry that we understand that things go wrong. It's the industry we're in. It's not a perfect science. And particularly when there's people involved, things go wrong. It's how you as businesses can demonstrably respond and learn from and improve in your own policies and practices to ensure as, as reasonably practicable as possible that that won't happen again. Um, that's, that's the key. So we can see from all of those examples just why NTI is so focused on chain of responsibility and helping educate broker partners and, and customers on their responsibilities and, and, and obligations, um, even to the point of, of having invested in a new subsidiary of NTI. Tell us a little bit more about that, Dave. Yeah, so in August of 2021, NTI made the decision to acquire a business by the name of Logistics Safety Solutions. Um, their primary offering under this business is a platform known as COR Safe, COR being chain of responsibility. Um, COR Safe is an end-to-end um, chain of responsibility management solution, all the way from providing consulting around developing or reviewing policies and procedures, delivering training to businesses and roles within those businesses at all ends of the spectrum, um, providing self -assess a self-assessment digital platform and audits that are recognised as fully aligned to the Australian Master Code of Practice, which is a joint initiative by the Australian Trucking Association and the Australian Logistics Council. And basically the standard that most people operate to when trying to build a safety management system for themselves. So it was, it's a great product, um, but I think more importantly, why? Why would an insurance company go down this path? Hopefully all of our listeners are familiar with the National Truck Accident Research Centre and their findings um, over the years uh, from a claims and incident perspective. We know that consistently human factors remain an issue for our industry. We know that there are too many heavy vehicles crashing on an annual basis, and we also know that too many of our drivers, heavy vehicle drivers, are losing their lives on the road. So we, as a specialist insurer, feel a responsibility to respond and genuinely get our hands dirty and get involved. And compliance is just one of those areas. It's not the only area, but it's a really, really important opportunity for us to engage with the industry more meaningful. Me, me, it's an opportunity for us to engage with the industry more meaningfully, um, try and reduce the audit burden for the for the many parties that exist within our industry and try and genuinely influence from the top down. So our primary customer base for COR Safe are actually the consigners within, the, within Australia and New Zealand. You think about a typical consigner within Australia, they carry a significant influence over a major number of trucks that are operating on our roads today. Therefore, they can, if you join the dots, they can see safer outcomes. So again, we feel, a responsibility to partly take it on ourselves and also work with the industry to drive, try and drive safer outcomes and respond to some of those numbers that we're seeing in our crash stats on a yearly basis. So Jarden, tell me about your role and how you fit into that COR safe product and platform. Yeah, so I've come on as a customer success manager. Um, so it's all in the title, customer success. My role really is to work with our, our customers who, as Dave said, are primarily consigners um, and look at what they're doing and, and 
see what changes they can make within their business and, and what the platform that we offer can do for them so they can have a meaningful sort of genuine response to safety and, and have a positive impact on the carriers within their supply chain. Um, so what that means day to day for me is, is working with our customer base, um, identifying where they might have any gaps within their business um, and, and giving some sort of recommendation towards what things they might want to implement that can do it a little bit better, or a little bit safer, um, as well as complying with the chain of responsibility legislation. Yeah, so it's all about uh, fostering a close working relationship with the customers that we have. And so does that entail that a, a, a business might ring you with questions or concerns or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's something that we really do want. We, we are... Um, we're there for them to reach out to us with our expertise that we can pass on. Um, so if, if one of our customers is having an issue with, uh, with maybe a, a load that's arrived on their site and, and may not be restrained um, appropriately, that's an opportunity for them to reach out to us and say, hey, look, this, this is the situation I've found myself in. Um, can you help me out a little bit with what I can do here to make sure, uh, firstly, we get out of this safely, uh, but also we do everything that we need to do to make sure that we've we've ticked all the boxes when it comes to our chain of responsibility requirements. What I love about the team that Jardin is responsible for is they end up becoming an extension of the compliance and safety teams within our customers' businesses. Um, and there is a rate of change that we're grappling with as an industry right now. So the regulator is constantly trying to respond. The courts are constantly trying to respond to incidents that they're seeing out on road. And that can be a pretty burdensome task to remain across as a consigner or a carrier within transport and logistics. So part of what we do is stay across regulatory updates, case law updates. We've got partners that help us with that. And then it's about delivering that in a meaningful and tangible way to our customers to make material change to their own safety management systems. So if we've got a, a, a broker or a, an organisation within transport and logistics, a business that is listening to this thinking, I've got to talk to someone, I, I don't know what I should be doing or, or what I should do next, who should they reach out to, Dave? So I'd say that's twofold. Obviously, all of our broker partners have great state development specialists that work with them on a day-to-day -day basis um, regarding all things NTI, um, and as an own subsidiary of NTI, brokers have access to um, the expertise that come along with COR Safe, so they're most welcome to ask a question there. Um, they're also welcome to try and find me. Um, we can provide our de my details off the back of this, um, and yeah, I can provide contact details to ask that question um, and have a conversation about is there something more that my client could be doing to ensure that they're running a safe and sustainable business. Fantastic. So in that first instance, uh, reaching out to the local SDS from NTI. Absolutely. They're your go-to. We've spoken a lot this morning about the complexities of chain of responsibility. If I could ask each of you if there's one thing that our listeners should take away from this session this morning, what should it be? Yeah, if, if, if I was to respond to that first, I would say um, back to my earlier point, accountability follows influence. So if you think that either yourself or a customer that you look after has some degree of influence in the supply chain, in the movement of heavy vehicles on Australian roads, they probably have a degree of accountability and it's definitely worth asking the question and understanding whether what they have in place stacks up against the law and whether or not they could do a little better 
Are we responding reactively to incidents or are we remaining ahead of the game? Yeah, agree with that. Um, and, and on your point that you make about the, the complexity of the legislation, I don't so much think that the legislation is written in a way where it's complex at all. It's just that it's not, it's not something that everybody's familiar with yet, um, particularly further into the chain um, with these other roles that, that don't see themselves as, as transport carriers. Um, so it's a little bit of that, you don't know what you don't know. Um, so to Dave's point, asking the question and, and, and identifying or asking the question so that you can identify where you may have gaps. Um, but yeah, on the legislation itself and, and if there is a complexity to it, it's, it's more around doing everything that you can that's reasonable to make sure that your transport activities are safe. So um, if you're a reasonable person and you have influence or control over something, um, do everything that you think is reasonable to make sure that's done in a safe way is probably the simplest way to put that. Um, I think that's a really important thing to to look at when you're new to this chain of responsibility is that it's not daunting and it's not hard. It's it's just reach out for some advice where needed, but also that um, where you do have an influence, it's it's only the simple things that all that all do add up. And that's an important point you make that um, you, you're a reasonable person. Do what you believe is reasonable, and then the second step to that is check it verified against someone that has expertise in the space, whether that be us or the heavy vehicle regulators website. There's a lot of guidance material on their website that you can refer to in the first instance. Um, but ask the question, check your own systems, test your systems before they're tested for you. And I guess at the end of the day, it's all about safety, keeping drivers safe, keeping others in the supply chain safe and keeping everyone on the roads or at warehouses or depots, keeping everyone safe. Absolutely. My family use the road every day of the week and I'm eternally thankful that we have a system, whether that be at the government level all the way through to service providers and people within the logistics industry that buy into safety and run really safe businesses. Yeah, 100%. We talk about compliance, but at the end of the day, safety is the goal here. Fantastic. Thanks for joining me this morning, guys. Great to have you. Thanks for having us. Thanks again for listening to NTI Spotlight. For insurance brokers looking to generate a CPD certificate for this episode, please visit partner.nti.com.au forward slash COR podcast. That URL again is partner.nti.com.au forward slash COR podcast. This podcast is general only and does not take into account your personal circumstances. You should obtain your own professional advice based on your personal circumstances. NTI and Logistics Safety Solutions are not responsible or liable for your use or reliance on the information in this podcast.